It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Hi, this is Nathan. This week, we have students here for our week-long discipleship training program. And as such, we decided it would be fun to invite some of the other instructors to teach Daily Thunder throughout this week. Well, I want to remind you that this upcoming November, November 7th through the 13th, we are having another week-long intensive training. If you've ever wanted to be discipled, this is a great opportunity to take one week and go after Jesus Christ. For more information on how you can attend this week-long training, please visit ellerslie.com forward slash daily. Now, in today's Daily Thunder, we have special guest, Philip Hartman. Uh, well, for those of you who are streaming online uh, this morning, this week uh, is one of our week-long trainings. So we have a, a just a really great group out here. It's been uh, we're in day two, so so far it's been uh, really neat. But uh, this week is going to be a little bit different in terms of our daily thunder flows, and we'll have a number of the different teaching staff here uh, who will be uh, teaching for the daily funders this week. So we're glad to have you all joining us. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, I am not going to share from a keynote this morning. Uh, usually when I do teachings, I will, but when I do daily funders, I sort of like to spread my wings a little bit and not have a, a keynote. So, hope, hopefully you have your Bibles. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to be talking about Naaman this morning. I'm sure you're all familiar with the story of Naaman, and I want to look a little bit at that story uh, this morning so Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 13. So it says, that now, now he's just been tempted by Satan, and it says, When the devil had ended the temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of a spirit to Galilee, and the news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of a prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery to the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord." Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the day of Elijah, and six months, and there was a great, sorry, uh, in, in, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Zidon to a woman, woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed 
except Naaman the Syrian. Now, this is interesting because this is in their scriptures, of course, right? So they knew this. This was part of their teaching. And yet Jesus reminds them of this. And, and to us, we go, yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah, he did save the women in Zidon, and, and he did cleanse Naaman the leper. That's true. But look at the response that they give here. It says, so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. What a response. I mean, I mean, this is serious business, what Jesus has told them. And what do you tell them? Well, he said, yeah, there were a lot of people there in Israel, right? And there was a famine. And yet, who did you go to? He went to this heathen lady. He went to the lady who was not of Israel. He went to the outsider. And, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha. But who did you go to? Not, not the ones in Israel. But, but the only one that was healed or the only one that was cleansed was, was a Syrian? And they got angry. And, and so they rise up and they thrust him out of the city. And, and of course they want to throw him over the cliff. It says, then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. We're going to come back to this passage a little bit at the end here. But I want to go look at Naaman and, and look at his life. And it's interesting that Jesus refers to him in this way. So turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, we have a story of Naaman. And it says this, it says in verse 1, Now Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of Syria, obviously a pretty substantial guy, right? Captain of the host of the king of Syria. I guess that would be like five-star general type thing. Was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. But he was a leper. Now, I want to read you a, a statement uh, from Flavius Josephus. Eric actually read from Flavius Josephus yesterday. And he was a historian, Jewish historian, who also was uh, sort of involved with the Romans a little bit. And uh, he was a contemporary, lived at the time of Jesus. And, and it, he talks a little bit more about Naaman. All that the Bible says is, it just has this mysterious statement, because the Lord had given him deliverance, by him deliverance in Assyria. And Flavius Josephus, now of course it's not the Bible, but he goes into that a little bit, and it's, it's very interesting. So here's what he says. He says, Then did Ahab and Jehoshaphat, the king of Jerusalem, take their forces and march to Ramoth, a city of Gilead. Now, I don't know if you remember, but what had happened was, Ahab is the king of Samaria over Israel, which is the, the ten and a half tribes. And then you have Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, who, who, which is Judah and the half tribe of Benjamin, in Jerusalem. Okay? And they say, let's, let's join our forces and go out against the, the Syrians. Well, the problem is, God, through Micaiah, a prophet, had told them, don't do it. Okay? This is not going to go well. But they did it anyways. And it says, when the king of Syria heard of his expedition, he brought out his army to oppose them and pitched his camp not far from Ramoth. Now, Aulox and Jehoshaphat had agreed that Ahab should lay aside his royal robes. But the king, that the king of Jerusalem should put on his proper habit and stand before the army in order to disprove by this artifice what Micah had foretold, meaning Ahab's ruin. So Ahab was going to go in disguise and then Jehoshaphat was going to lead the army. But Ahab's fate found him out without his robes. For Ben-Hadad, the king of Assyria, had charged his army by the means of their commanders to kill nobody else but only the king of Israel, meaning Ahab. So he says, don't kill anybody, 
just kill Ahab. So when the Syrians, upon their joining battle with the Israelites, saw Jehoshaphat stand before the army and conjectured that he was Ahab, they fell violently upon him and encompassed him round about. But when they were near and knew that, he was, that, that it was not he, they all returned back. And while the fight lasted from morning till late in the evening, and the Syrians were conquerors, they killed nobody. I, I, I have a hard time comprehending how that worked exactly. Uh, <laughs> they are conquerors, but they didn't kill anybody. As their king had commanded them, and when they sought to kill Ahab alone, but could not find him. There was a young nobleman belonging to King Benedad, whose name was Naaman. He drew his bow against the enemy and wounded the king through his best breastplate in his lungs. Upon this, Ahab resolved not to make his mischance known to his army, lest they should run away. But he bid the driver of his chariot to turn it back and carry him out of a battle, because he was sorely and mortally wounded. However, he sat in his chariot and endured the pain till sunset, and then he fainted away and died. So that's just a very interesting background. Again, that's historical, it's not, not necessarily in the Bible, but an interesting background that, that very likely Naaman would have been the one who shot the arrow that ends up killing Ahab. Isn't that, it's fascinating. And of course, we know in the Bible it says, through him, the Syrians were delivered. And so his, his king uh, exalts him to this high position uh, because of that. He's, he's exalted up, he's lifted up, he's in sort of this, this really massive leader p- position. He's the commander of the army of the king of Syria. So it says this, it says, he was a leper, and the Syrians had gone out, this is back to 2 Kings, verse 2, and the Syrians had gone out on raids, and he brought back a captive young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with a prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, thus and thus said a girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, that he tore his clothing and said, Am I a god to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. I don't know if the, the next king after Ahab would have known that Naaman had, had killed the previous king, but you have this really unique circumstance uh, where, where he's going to him and the king's like, whoa, <laughs> I can't do this. He's trying to fight with He's trying to stir up trouble. But here's what it says. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothing, that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothing? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. And so you here you have this story, which is really interesting, because you think about Naaman, and of course they had their gods, they had their, their idols that they worshipped, right? Because later on we find out that he would go in with his master, Naaman would, and, and so he was asking Elisha, what do I do about this when they're serving the idols? So, so we know that that's a, a situation that he's in, and yet th- th- this is a declaration of, the, the gods that I have, the gods of this world are futile. In other words, even just turning to him is, is a declaration that I know I can't find it there. It, it's almost a what shall I do to be safe type uh, statement that we see from Naaman. And so Elisha sends a messenger uh, to him. So, so what happens is Naaman comes, right? And Elisha sends a messenger out. And here's what he says. It says, Elisha sent a messenger unto Naaman saying, go and wash 
in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Now, a little bit of background on the Jordan. Remember, the Jordan is the divider between the wilderness and the promised land, right? So we have the Israelites, they, they wander around for 40 years in the desert place, and then eventually they, they cross over the Jordan into the promised land. And remember that, that really neat story where the, the river is there, the Jordan River, obviously, and then the priests step into the water, and it says the priests step into the water, but the, the river stops, and then all the people cross over the Jordan River. Uh, and, and there's all sorts of things about the Jordan River. It, Eric talked about first and seconds yesterday. So you'll see the first being the wilderness, as it were, the second being the promised land. And so they, they have the, the, the law is received in the wilderness, actually on the day of uh, Pentecost, right? So the, the Pentecost, when it says the day of Pentecost had fully come in Acts chapter 2, that was actually a celebration before the giving of the Holy Spirit, right? So it was a celebration, what, of the giving of the law. That's what they were celebrating. The giving of the law in the wilderness, and then what happens? The giving of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, as the real fulfillment. The law, which could only show us our sin and expose sin and show us the exceeding sinfulness of sin, but gave us no power over it. And then the Spirit, which is that which is able to, to take, as it were, and write it upon our hearts and enable us to actually live out this Christian life. So you have all sorts of different things about the, the Jordan and being the first on one side of the Jordan in the wilderness and then the second in the promised land. But Jordan also has a really interesting uh, name because of where it's at. It's called the descender is, is literally what the, the river means or this idea of the descent. And, and that's because of the way that it's located. Uh, but it, it's, it also was known, and you're going to see this in a few minutes, as a dirty river at the time. And we'll see that. And so here's what Naaman says. It says, but Naaman was wroth and he went away and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over a place and recover the leper. Now, isn't this an interesting response? I mean, Naaman, wake up. Elisha just told you, go get in the river seven times, and, and you'll be clean. In fact, it says that, that it's going to come to you again as a child, meaning you're, you're going to have totally fresh skin. You, you'll be totally cleansed. You'll be totally healed of this leprosy. All, all you're doing is going into the river seven times. And, and, and yet he's angry. He was expecting some sort of big miracle. He was expecting some sort of power showdown. That Elisha was going to come out and boom, and boom, I'm done. But what? The Jordan? And here's what he, he continues to say. He says, Are not Abana and Farper rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Right? Isn't that a better water? Why, why do I have to go to the, the dirty Jordan? Can I go to, to these other rivers? Those are much better rivers. May I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned away and went in a rage. But isn't this human nature? To say... Isn't there some way that I can do this myself? Isn't there some other way that's more attractive? Uh, as as A.W. Tozer would say it, many of us want the resurrection without the cross. Lord, isn't there some way I could get to the other side of the cross, of the resurrection, and have that resurrection life without dying? Isn't there some way I could have my, my life and, and yet still have Jesus? And yet still what I want, get what I want? 
and here's what you have, this interesting thing. The servant of Naaman comes to him, and he says this. And his servants came near, and they spake unto him, and said, My father, if a prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he says to thee, wash and be clean? How much more when he says to thee, wash and be clean? If, if he had told you to go do some great thing, you would have done it. And yet he says, wash and be clean. And you're angry over it. And you recognize how often we have the same attitude. That, that Lord, I'll go do great things for you. Or, or, or I'm going to go do this, or I'm going to go do that, or, or I'm going to discipline my way through this. And, and yet, it's not in the doing of great things that we find that cleansing, but in the simple washing and being clean. And yet it requires something. It requires that we descend. Remember the name of the Jordan, the descending? It requires that we humble ourselves. It requires that we say, I can't do it. It's not in me. It's not in my great things. It's not in the rivers of this world. It's not in the, the things that this world aspires to. It's simply in washing and being clean and yet humbling myself where it's found. And isn't that interesting? That's the exact same message that Jesus is, is bringing in Luke chapter 4 when, when he's saying, remember, it wasn't you guys who were proud of your heritage and we're Israelites and we're Pharisees and we're doing this. It wasn't in your great heritage. It wasn't in your great keeping of the law. You know, as, as Paul said, Pharisee of Pharisees of a tribe of Benjamin. It wasn't in that that Jesus looked for in the days of the widow. It wasn't that that he looked for in the, in the time of Naaman. It, it, it was his, here's a man who's willing to humble himself. And of course that angered them. And so they rose up and they killed him. You know, I think there's a lot of things that we can oftentimes look to, great things. Maybe it's biblical knowledge, right? Lord, if I just get enough biblical knowledge, then I'll be clean. If I pray enough. If I, if I work hard enough or this, or if I, if I vandalize enough, or I do this enough, or I do, those are all very good things, right? And, and yet, Jesus says, wash and be clean. And it's not in our great efforts, it's not in our great works that we're going to go do, but it's in, in that simplicity of looking unto him. I was thinking about this passage, and uh, thinking about, the, the Last Supper. And isn't it interesting that, that we see this parallel in Peter? Because Peter had some of that sort of Israelite national pride. All the disciples really did, but Peter, poor Peter, he suffered of that. Uh, but, you know, he, he early on in the, in the Last Supper, remember he says, Lord, don't wash me. I'm not going to let you do that. And, and the Lord says, if you don't let me wash you, you can't have anything part of me. And then a little bit later on, though, is where he says, I'll never deny you. You see, he was looking, I'm going to do some great thing, and yet he was not seeing his own need. He was not willing to humble himself, say, Lord, I need you to wash me. Thank you for washing me. Isaiah 45 says this. He says, look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Isn't it amazing how simple looking is? 
look unto me. He doesn't say, go do these great things. He says, look unto me, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, or, and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. That, that sim- simplicity of saying, I'm going to take my eyes off myself, I'm going to take my eyes off the, this, the things of this world, and the, and the doubts, and, and the unbelief, and the sin, and the garbage of this world, and I'm going to repent of that, and I'm going to look unto Jesus. And, and, and it's this turning the soul, and, and turning it in faith, and confidence, and looking unto him, which Eric's going to talk a little bit more about today. Look unto me, and be ye saved. Look. It's not in going and doing some great thing. It's like the servant says. If, if, if he had asked you to do some great thing, you would have done it. And yet you recognize that if it was some great thing, it would still be us, wouldn't it? As opposed to coming to the end of ourselves and saying, I need to descend. I need to lower myself into the Jordan. I need to humble myself before him and become absolutely nothing. Like Paul says, I count all of that as dung, as loss, compared to the excellency of the knowing of Christ, of the knowledge of Christ. Look unto me. Would you look unto him this morning? Turn your eyes off of yourself. Uh, turn your eyes off of, uh, off of the, the things of this world or the, the doubts of this world and the, the confusion of this world and look unto him. Would you turn the eyes of your soul and, and gaze at your Lord this morning? Look unto him. And so we know Naaman goes in the Jordan, of course, and he dips himself seven times. And that number seven is interesting because seven in the Hebrew would denote an eternal number, an infinite number, if that makes sense. Which is, right, isn't that picture of being in Christ? And we're just not seven times. We, we dip into him and we remain in him. And it's in that simplicity of humbling ourselves and finding our, our clothing in him, cloaking ourselves in him, hiding ourselves in him, that we are saved and that we are rescued. And so Jesus says, many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. None of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And, and what about us, right? W- would you lay aside your own claims? Would you lay aside your own great things? Would you, God wants to do great things for you, by the way. And, and yet, that's not what we look to. We look unto Jesus. And it's in knowing him that, that we do great things, right? It's not through us mustering up the strength to do this. It's through that intimate relationship with him. It's through the looking unto him that he rescues and saves us and builds us and, and that we do these things that we do. He says, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And so can I challenge you this week? Rather than looking to the great things that you're going to do or, or the great habits that you're going to build, habits are good and so on, but would you look to Jesus? And as we're coming this week, you recognize that, that so long as we're not willing to humble ourselves, we're not going to grow in the kingdom of heaven. The, the, the growing in the kingdom of heaven starts by coming down. It starts by descending into the Jordan. Isn't it interesting? That's like the, the gateway to the promised land is the Jordan River. That literally the gateway to the promised land is going through a river called descending. <laughs> it's like, come humble yourself in the Jordan River and find life. Come and humble yourself underneath the almighty hand of God. 
come and, and, and lower yourself down and descend and say, Lord, I can do nothing. And yet you said, wash and I'll be clean. You said, look unto me and I will be saved. And so I'm looking unto you. I'm, I'm fixing my gaze upon you not to turn away again. Let's look into him uh, this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for the simplicity of your gospel. But as we repent and believe and we, we look unto you, <clears throat> we turn our eyes from ourselves, our sin and doubt, and we look unto you and you save us. And Lord, as, as we are believers, we know that not only in biggest salvation, but, but even in the smallest salvation ways, that we turn and we look unto you on a daily basis. We fix our eyes upon Jesus. I pray that the gaze of our soul would look unto you. Lord, save us from this, this mindset of Naaman that says, I'm going to go do some great thing, or looks for another way, or looks to ourselves to be saved, and that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would descend, as it were, into the Jordan to find new life, that we would humble ourselves and take up our cross, that we might find that resurrection. Lord Jesus, we fix our eyes upon you this morning. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.